it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Get ready for a big hour, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from Midtown Manhattan, but heard around the country, around the world, and hopefully in the Ukraine, where they continue to fight and defy the odds. Lieutenant Colonel, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West at the bottom of the hour, and you're next, one 408 7669 Or you can write me, or just go to briankilmeade.com and just click on comments, and I'll be able to get to a lot of them, uh, and we'll be doing that. So we have a lot to discuss today, uh, including the president being uh, relatively delusional. There's a few things going on. Did you see what happened yesterday? D-Day, 78 years. It took him until 8.45 Eastern time at night to even mention it. But we're doing all these, whether it's Pride Day or uh, Salute to the Pronoun Day. We're doing all that. We don't miss a a minute of that. St. Patrick's Day. But D-Day, this will be the second year in a row. We almost missed it. I thought the adults were back in charge. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So for Democrats who have these Green New Deal fantasies, $5 gallon gas is not an accident. It's not an unintended consequence. It's very much the intended consequence. They want gas to be high because they want you out of your pickup truck or your minivan and want you to get into electric vehicles or scooters or mass transit. Senator Tom Cotton is right again. Don't believe your eyes, your wallet, your family deficit. Your life is great and your economy is soaring. That's what Biden is saying. And the Biden administration would have you believe the problem. Only 17% of the country agree. Keep selling, Joe. Number two. After the shooting, after the arrest, after being let go, you know what they do? They go do another shooting. No one takes criminal justice seriously anymore. These bad guys no longer take them seriously. Mayor they believe Eric- our criminal justice system is a laughing stock. Mayor Eric Adams, uh, you're in charge now, but he's blaming Albany because he can't get anything done. Something's brewing on gun control in the Senate. But on crime, the change has to come through the ballot boxes. Criminal first DA Boudine will learn if he's recalled from a, from a frustrated uh, San Francisco constituency who are very liberal. And as you heard, a frustrated Mayor Adams calling our laws a laughing stock. I agree. Fix it. Number one. Uh, we've been watching uh, Uvalde and all of South Texas under constant assault for the entirety of the Biden administration. Uh, ranchers who are having their ranches overrun. And now you've got a caravan of 15,000 people coming up to the border. Yeah, uh, it's unbelievable. You have to see it. I know you think you've seen stuff like this. You've never seen this. Put us first, Joe. Thousands of migrants join a caravan through Mexico going for Title 42 to repeal. Meanwhile, Biden will declare a will have a declaration addressing the migration situation at the Summit of the Americas, which the Mexican president won't even attend due to his exclusion, the exclusion of Cuba, Nicaragua and Venezuela. How does this make any sense? How do you plan on doing anything at the border if Mexico won't even attend a summit in Los Angeles? Pathetic it is such an insult. How is it that Arbador ended up being one of President Trump's best buddies? And yet there would remain a Mexico policy, which put a burden on Mexico. 
and made the, and they put 20,000 troops in southern on their southern border. Why is it that he got along with Trump better when Biden has said, come one, come all. We're just going to ignore the whole situation. So how bad is it? Very bad. Congressman Chip Roy, cut one. Uh, we've been watching uh, Uvalde and all of South Texas under constant assault for the entirety of the Biden administration. Uh, ranchers who are having their ranches overrun. And now you've got a caravan of 15,000 people coming up to the border. And now I'm talking to DPS today, Texas DPS, and they're telling me that cartels are now operating in Texas over 100 miles into the border into Texas. That's what's happening. That is uh, just an uh, we're all outraged. I mean, aren't you outraged? Even if you're riding around and you're a modern independent, can you tell me that this works for our country? The Rio Grande sector that he was talking about, apprehensions over the weekend, 2,500. Known gotaways, 866. By the definition, you know you didn't get all the getaways or gotaways or missed them. Uh, rescues, 28. Criminals, too. This guy, Luis Velogran, he should be arrested. He told Fox News that he is organizing the caravan. So far, and I've seen the video, I don't doubt it, the caravan stretches 32 miles, 9,500 people. They estimate by the time it gets to our border, it will double, double. How do you expect Border Patrol, Texas uh, Rangers, Texas National Guard to take care of this? They can't. More from Chip Roy, cut two. And what happened last Thursday in the Judiciary Committee? They're moving forward legislation that would make me a criminal and every rancher a criminal in Texas if we have a 20-gauge single-barrel shotgun or a 22 propped up in the corner and we have kids in our house. These ranchers are using these weapons. They're giving them to their kids to defend themselves. And that's what Democrats want to do is politicize a tragedy and then do that to undermine the American people's ability to defend themselves when this administration refuses to, flat-out refuses to secure the border. And it's intense. I have to say it is. I mean, I listen to Tom Cotton. I'm listening to Chip Roy. I have to say it is uh, almost like they're doing when it comes to green energy and gas prices. It is so anti-American, so against the American people. They should pay a huge price. I mean, like a titanic price in the midterms. So Mexican President Andres Lopez Obrador confirmed he will not be president at the summit, but he will do a bilateral with the president sometime in July. Officials express confidence that Mexico will sign on to a declaration, despite Orbador's snub, that uh, will announce $300 million in investment and assistance for the region. $300 million is nothing compared to what they need, number one. Number two is don't give them one dime in this from uh, uh, Guatemala to Nicaragua, unless they, but Nicaragua's not getting any aid, but Honduras, El Salvador, not one dollar of aid until you control your border. We have Haitian citizens marching towards our border, demanding that Joe Biden keep his word and let them in. What planet are we on? What country is this? How dare you even ask and demand to be let in? So let's talk about gun control if we can. Uh, San Francisco voters are deciding today's election day in seven different states if this guy, uh, the Chesa Bodine, will keep his job. Why? Crime is out of control. They invented the smash and grab in San Francisco. Outward, taking nice neighborhoods and now mugging people in broad daylight and getting away with it because he thinks criminal first. Gascon, the same way. The guy in Philadelphia, the same way. This could be the beginning of liberal Democrats understanding that Republicans aren't uh, aren't pro-law enforcement. They're anti-crime. Republicans happen to be very pro-law enforcement. Now the panicked Democratic Party is starting to say, well, let's be pro-law enforcement. 
Uh, cops are too smart for that. They knew who was standing up for them. So on guns and, and cracking down on the next shooter before they become the next shooter. The quartet of senators, Senator Murphy, Senator Cornyn, Kristen Sinema, Tom Tillis, are focusing on a package that would expand background checks and uh, also fund and encourage state uh, red flag laws, enhance school safety, and provide new uh, mental health programs. It's all in the execution, but this is something that John Cornyn, who in the past has walked away from talks when they've gotten too political, everybody believes that this is for real. So... Uh, Murphy and other Democrats involved in the talks say their experience with Senator Cornyn gives them hope that the consensus can be found probably centering around the so-called red flag laws and everything that I just mentioned. Uh, in New York, Governor Hochul signed new gold control legends, uh, laws, executive orders. We'll see how long they stand, one of which will say you've got to be 21 to buy uh, an AR-15. Listen, when we come back, I'll take your calls on this, one 408 Seven six six nine. Then the bottom of the hour, we talk about what's happening in the Ukraine, as well as what's happening with Texas and Beto O'Rourke trying to play, play, uh, say, "I'm going to take your AR-15." He believes the people of Texas are behind him. He does never, never talks about the border. Remember what he originally wanted to do when he was running for president? He wanted to take the wall down. The wall we need up is rusting in the desert. Uh, you're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's not funny when you can't find infant formula and you can't pay for gas and you can't afford food and crime's going up in your city. But second, that's the real world. Uh, this, the White House doesn't understand. You know, if you're not eating in the White House mess and you don't have Air Force One taking you somewhere, the world's gotten to be very expensive and very dangerous, and Biden seems to have no clue about what's going on around him. And listen to this, why Newt Gingrich is saying that. Despite the fact that 83% of Americans describe the state of the economy as poor, right? Despite the fact that only 27% of Americans say they have a good chance of improving their standard of living. Despite the fact that the president's got 20% approval, 20-plus percent approval uh, rating when it comes to the economy, and about 26% when it comes to inflation, how he's handling it. He tweeted this out yesterday. At the time I took office from 16 months ago, the economy was stalled and COVID was out of control. Today, thanks to the economic plan and the vaccination plan my administration put into action, Americans have achieved the most robust recovery in modern history. Really? The most robust robust recovery? Well, maybe numbers might tell you that. But in actuality, when you totally stop the economy, when you tell almost everybody except so-called essential workers like Cops and firefighters and news anchors, don't come to work. We just just stay home. I'll give you money. 
Don't come to work. And then when they finally go back to work after you gave them way too much money not to work, then you say, what a recovery. You rigged the game. And nobody thinks you did a good vaccine rollout. The vaccine rollout, a million shots in arms to begin with. And then in July, you say, it's fine to go have cookouts. You missed all three variants that hit this country. You didn't have therapeutics. And when they were finally okayed by the FDA, you didn't have enough made because you refused to go with the model of warp speed. And now you're telling us life is great, even though, as you see, gas prices, we've hit all-time high again. In California, it's $6.34 a gallon. I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. Indiana, about $5. 13 states averaging $5. They say gas prices records have been reached for the last 10 consecutive days and for 27 of the last 28 days. And you know what the president's idea is? Tell everybody it's great and then use the DPA. Emergency, make them pump more oil and gas? What is that? No. Defense Production Act, first enacted in 1950 in the Korean War because we're at war and we had a peacetime footing. The act addresses voluntary programs or agreements when the government says an association of private interests approved by the government to plan and coordinate action in support of national defense. The provision permits business competitors to work together to plan and coordinate measures to increase the supply of materials. So GM and Ford can get together because it's an emergency to build solar panels. Yes, it's not even clear that we're not buying them from China Because he believes he wants to get to zero emissions. Nothing to do with the price of gas. Nothing to do with supply chain problems. But he wants to get the new Green Deal implemented. And that's the best way he can do it. Byron Donald tweets out a response. Biden's irresponsible and arguably constitutionally corrupt misuse of the DPA. Concerns should concern every American. The DPA isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card to cover the lazy, inept government, which is exactly how the administration uses it. It is true. William... Listen, WTRC in South Bend. Hey, William. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. You know what? There's several different things going on that that we've covered this morning or that you've covered. First of all, uh, you look at Mayor Adams in New York. Seems like when he was first in in office, things were just great. And even though this was still happening at at that time, now all of a sudden he's got a different point of view. He's looking at it in a different way. And, of course, he won't take the responsibility to handle it and and do what he said he was going to do, what he ran on his campaign doing. Um, You know, we we have these immigrants. They're demanding to be led into this country. What about the American people demanding that uh, we make America great that we make uh, America first, that we take care of America first, we take care of the the, the people, the, the population, the, the people that are here first. We talk about gas prices. I had told, I've forgotten what the screener's name is, but I told him that before the weekend on the, the, the Friday of the 3rd, gas prices here in South Bend were Four ninety-five today. They're five twenty-five. Wow! It's absolutely unbelievable. It's out of control. It's it's and nobody. Yeah, you know what? It's and I hate to say this, but and take it in the right venue. That's just like you know whizzing on me until it's raining. I mean, my God, really? Right. Come on. So now. listen to this. Uh, thanks to the call, William. Uh, this is uh, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg on why gas is so high. He takes aim at oil and gas industries. Cut 15. It's been very striking right now. 
to see these oil companies uh, who have become almost ridiculously profitable. And you hear these oil executives on the record talking about how they're not going to increase production. Uh, why would they? They're doing great right now. It's why the president has called for a use it or lose it policy, where if you're sitting on these thousands of permits like these oil executives have been and you're not doing anything with them, then you're going to be held accountable for that. Now, so far, congressional Republicans have blocked action to do something like that. But we think that's another step that would make a difference among the many, many steps the president's already taken. That's sickening. It's sickening to see that. You take aim at oil and gas who you vilified, tried to destroy. You try to uh, try to antagonize anybody that goes into the business, wants to make it a career. Then you try to uh, bully these major institution, financial institutions to not invest. And then you get mad that they aren't drilling enough? Really? Why should they drill if you don't support them? They've come forward, and I give them so much credit. I wish they would do it uh, more publicly. So a business group urging President Biden to support them for domestic energy production. The American Petroleum Institute, the Consumer Energy Alliance, and Louisiana Mid-Continent Oil and Gas Stations, the natural, another, another two or three groups, 80 in all, represented a diverse cross-section of industries calling on the Biden administration to act on policies that support U.S. energy and security and increase domestic production. In a letter to Biden, The signatories urge the administration to implement a new five-year plan for federal offshoring. While the U.S. will continue to be an energy leader into the future, smart and efficient energy policies are needed today if that's going to happen. However, your administration policies have been hindering domestic producers' ability to deliver on the growing demand. Oil and natural gas leasing on federal lands and waters has stopped despite court orders. And while the DOI has been, Department of Interior, has been taking steps to complete and implement the next five-year program, there will be an unprecedented gap between the current and the next five-year program. They see an end to oil and gas on right away. The letter uh, and testimony from Secretary Halen during the her confirmation um, hearings, uh, she says she's far behind on the process of developing and implementing a five-year program, will not have a new plan in place by the time the current program expires July 1st. Offshore production in the Gulf of Mexico currently represents 15% of natural gas and oil and among the lowest carbon-intensive production in the world. Without a five-year program, no new offshore leases can be held. Leasing futures, domestic production is in jeopardy because you can't just punch a hole and expect for the best. Quote, we are in a critical time where a lack of federal action and regulatory uncertainty may discourage companies from making a multi-million dollar investment needed to develop offshore resources in the U.S. and ensure long-term viability of a lower carbon national strategic accent. If the door closes on New Year's production, investment dollars will instead flow abroad to more active basins to the detriment of American workers and energy consumers and environment. What are they saying? We're doing it. We're just not going to do it here. So think about the American people and stop being so afraid of the squad. That's what I get from it. Brian Kilmeade, so glad you're here. When we come back, Alan West joins us. show like no other it's brian kilmeade he promised the uh, the asian community he will help them 
it will uh, call Title 42, it will help us having real asylum. But now we need him to keep his promise. Think about this. That is a Haitian citizen in Central America, en route to Mexico, en route to our border, demanding our president keep his word under Title 42 and let him in. Demanding to be let in. As if we don't have laws in place and applications to fill out and fines to pay and background checks to run. That's what it has come to. 15,000 heading to our border. Organized caravan. We even know the person in charge. The guy should be arrested immediately. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joins us. He's the American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director, former congressman from Florida. Uh, Colonel, welcome back. What is your take of that arrogance? Well, it's good to be back with you. And when you have a president and when you have an administration that does not care about our sovereignty, that disrespects our borders and boundaries, does not stand up for our rule of law, then why should you expect anyone else to? And that's exactly what is happening right now. So this problem emanates from Joe Biden and and the White House and his administration, Mayorkas and everyone else. And when you see what is happening, this is like you just said, it is well organized and it starts down, uh, you know, with a, a pipeline now that has really developed starting going through the Darien Gap over into Costa Rica. And all along these lines, you have buses and means of transportation that are getting people here to the uh, border of the United States of America, and there is no enforcement. And so you have these uh, non-governmental organizations that are getting taxpayer money to process and put people on planes and put people on buses and disperse them throughout the United States of America. So this is appalling. And you're right. No one is going to respect uh, us as a republic, uh, us as a constitutional uh, republic and as a nation, because we don't have people that respect us as a nation in positions of leadership. So the president, uh, the president doesn't feel that way. In fact, he doesn't even address it, but he's going to have the Conference of Americas. But we're being blown off because... Because we didn't invite Nicaragua, Cuba, and Venezuela, not only are they brutal dictatorships, but they're allies with Vladimir Putin, the Mexican president's not going to come. So he says he will not be president at the summit after he threatened to pull out uh, for the last few weeks, citing refusal of the U.S. to invite those countries I just named. Officials express confidence that Mexico will sign a declaration at the end that will announce a new cooperation agreement when it comes to economic causes that are causing so many to flood to our border. Why did Arbiter get along so well with President Trump, who is tougher, ripped him before he even got elected, ripped the country before he got elected? How did he end up so tight with the Mexican president? And why is this because guy people, such an outcast? It's very simple, Brian. You know, people respect strength. Uh, and when they see that strength, that might, that resolve, they, they honor it. And so it's like Ronald Reagan said, you get peace through strength. Uh, when you try to, all this accommodation and weakness and negotiation, nobody cares about that. Everyone will push you around. And how interesting it is that all of a sudden, you know, we're going to Venezuela and asking to buy their oil when we have oil and gas resources here. As a matter of fact, the Venezuelan oil is a lot dirtier than the oil that we have here. And so, again, if you're not respecting and honoring your own industry, your own energy sector here in America – you know, why do you expect any of these people to respect and honor you? And the other thing we need to send a clear message to Mexico is that along our border, the Mexican government does not have control uh, in any of these uh, provinces or states along.
on the border. We're talking about an insurgency, Brian. We're talking about a transnational narco-criminal terrorist organization, non-state, non-uniform belligerents that are really undermining the sovereignty of the United States of America. They're the ones, the cartels, that are creating a drug crisis, a human sex trafficking crisis. They're the ones that are funneling terrorists across the border. And again, if you have such a weak person as Joe Biden and a non-existent person and irrelevant individual as our vice president, Kamala Harris, no one is going to respect you. No one is going to care about you know your stance in the world. And so we've seen that degradation in, what, just uh, 18 months almost? Yeah, so the, the president says uh, – well, the president will speak about mobilizing leaders – around a bold new plan that's centered around the responsibility sharing and economic support for countries that have been most impacted by refugees and migration, like us. And we're going to cut them a $300 million check, which, by the way, the big picture doesn't do anything. And $300 million for what? You hold that as leverage to get them to do what they're supposed to do, don't you? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And remember when Kamala Harris did go down to Central America, she talked about, uh, you know, climate change and all this stuff and the reason why we need to give people money. I mean, that that's a level of extortion like you've ever seen. Uh, we're going to continue to allow people to come and flow across the board unless you give us money. No, this is where you have to be tough. And this is where you have to say we're not going to allow people to come here into this border legally, especially a Haitian citizen who somehow has traversed across. And many of these people coming here from are not coming from Haiti. They're expatriates. They're living down in South America and Central America, and they're coming into our country. So we have a breakdown of uh, defending our rule of law. And, and Brian, this is unconstitutional. The the President Biden and his administration are in violation of Article 4, Section 4, United States Constitution. You want to talk about an impeachable offense? It's not about a phone call. It's about the fact that you are violating the Constitution. You're violating your oath to uphold the Constitution, and that's what this administration is doing. And think, you know, we still got uh, another two and a half years of this. Well, hopefully not not with this Congress in Democratic hands, so there's got to be some hell to pay yeah. uh, for this. So the president, I played it uh, last block, but has Pete Buttigieg come out and says, I'm going to start fining these oil and gas companies, even though Republicans are trying to stop it, who refuse to punch holes with the, these leases. Really? Rick Perry, former governor and secretary of energy, cut 22, uh, 22. The Biden administration and, and the Democrats are going to pay a massive price in uh, this November. Regardless of what uh, the secretary of transportation says, the American people are not buying that. They know that this isn't Putin's price increase. They know that when Joe Biden said, I'm going to do everything I can to change the fossil fuel industry in America that he meant it and that uh, the American people may not have recognized what that meant. But the investors did. They backed out uh, of all their portfolios they considered energy stock. Mm-hmm. When they tell a bunch of kids, 1870, you don't want to be in oil and gas for a living. You'll have blood on your hands. You'll be destroying the earth. So now they can't get people to staff it. And now people who judge is vilifying them and saying they're uh, indeed, the problem. We know they're not. I would even become more vociferous rather than just offer statements from 80 uh, oil and gas trade groups. I'd get more into it. Guess what, Joe, guess what Joe Biden's doing? More solar panels. Defense Production Act to make more solar panels. And they're not even saying that they won't buy most of them from China. Your reaction, Colonel Allen West? 
Yeah, once again, you're talking about buying solar panels from China. You're talking about pushing people to get more electric vehicles. But guess where the the lithium batteries, the components, and the and the uh, the part minerals and components that make that they come from China as well. That's one of the reasons why China wanted to get in and get the resources and materials in Afghanistan. So we're becoming more beholden to China when we were once energy independent. And no one can convince the American people that this is not a result of the policies of Joe Biden. And when he's there in Japan and he's kind of gleefully saying, we're doing an incredible transition away from oil and and gas, Uh, you know, we can't go we out. hear that. I don't want to go out and, yeah, and do that. I don't want to be out there buying an electric vehicle. And so why would you undermine the strength of this nation with this energy independence and make us energy dependent and furthermore try to punish the American people with these exorbitant prices? I think it's over $9 uh, in gas out in, in California. And even here in Texas, I've seen places where it's a little bit over uh, $5 for premium unleaded. That's unconscionable. And he can't hire and uh, the American people are a lot smarter, and he's going to see the results of this come November. Right, no doubt about it. And lastly, uh, when you think about what's going on at the border, uh, he he's not putting any more money into it. He's not being asked about it, and the vice no. president is uh, is not putting anything into it. Now, some say with the shooting in Uvalde, Beto O'Rourke has a lane, and he wants to take it as anti-AR-15. Yes, I will take your AR-15. And there's a sense in Texas that we have to do more. So what does that mean for the election chances of Abbott and Beto O'Rourke? Well, I will tell you this. Uh, they just put together a special uh, commission here in Texas uh, as done by the governor. And one of the people on this commission is a very leftist Democrat, Joe Moody, from out in El Paso. And he has you know, said that the whole you know, issue behind uh, mass shootings is because of Republicans. Look, Brian, you know, I'm looking right now uh, over toward my gun closet, and there are uh, three, uh, four semi-automatic rifles sitting in that gun closet. Guess what? Not doing a thing. They can't load themselves. They can't fire themselves. This is all about the individual and their responsibility and accountability. So instead of looking at punishing law-abiding, legal gun owning and responsible gun owners such as myself and so many millions of others in the United States of America, let's deal with the real issue that is here. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times it is with the breakdown and the failures in this background check system uh, where people with their issues and their problems, special mental defectiveness is not being uploaded into the system. That's what we should be uh, looking at. That's yeah, the fixed NICS program, about. absolutely. That Senator Corner did a lot on that. Make sure these background yes. checks are thorough. Listen, Colonel, if I own a gun shop, I, I'm looking at that 18-year-old and he looks a little crazy, right? Uh, but I can't legally just decide, just like you with the, you know, if I own a deli, I can't say, I'm not going to send you a sandwich. I can't really mm-hmm. decide, I'm not going to send you a gun. I just don't have a good feeling about you. That's not right. That's a violation of his Second Amendment rights, right? So if you're a yeah, crazy you're guy at right. 17, I want to empower those, those gun owners to be able to stop this kid before he becomes the Buffalo shooter or the Uvalde shooter. How do we solve yes, think this? Think about this. And yes, think about this. The Buffalo shooter, uh, he was brought in for mental evaluation. He was released. No follow-up. Nicholas Cruz, Parkland shooter, 21 call-outs to his house. No follow-up. The Uvalde shooter, there were five or six call-outs to his house. No follow-up. So what does that tell me? It's not about me and the, and the semi-automatic rifles that I have sitting in my gun closet. It's about a failure of a system. So what do we do with a 17-year-old who becomes an adult at 18? 17, he's problematic. 18, he's got a clean record. What do we do? 
No, I mean, I, I think that somehow that should be uploaded into a system so that you, you want to talk about a red flag. That's how you use red flags. But what the Democrats are talking about is the unwarranted ability for anyone to make a complaint about someone and go out and confiscate their weapons. Go back and look at what happened November 2018 to a man, 61 years of age, Gary J. Willis in Ferndale, Maryland, who had a red flag law warrant uh, served against him at 5 o'clock in the morning. And guess what? He came to the door because, quote, unquote, police officers were banging on the door. They shot him dead, Brian. But yet we don't know who these police officers were there in Ferndale, Arendelle County, I believe that's the way it is in Maryland. They shot and killed Gary J. Willis, 61 years of age. He had not done nothing. But yet, supposedly, he uh, was under a red flag uh, warning and, and violation. That's not what we want to see happen in the United States of America, but that's what the left wants. Right. 260,000 red flag laws, uh, I think, were enacted since 2019 in Suffolk County, Long Island. Uh, and we're looking into, I'm trying to find out what happened with that. You know, where are the complaints, where are the people applauding, where are the mm-hmm. schools that got saved? So I think we all, for responsible gun owners like you, you don't want some idiot, uh, period, hurting gun owners. And you don't want to reflect no. on you, and it shouldn't be. If I drive a car, but if someone drunk uh, goes, goes drunk driving, that's their choice. You don't ban the car. I get that analogy. It's effective. But... I think that the mental health toll, stress on this next generation, whether it's because of parenting, because of social media, because of the pandemic, whatever the causes, let's look into the causes. Number two, how do we find a way to get those minors uh, when they become adults and can walk into that gun shop to get it? Now, remember, this this guy in Uvalde asked his sister in September, can you get me a gun? She said, absolutely not. Her friends thought the, mm-hmm. their friends thought he was going to shoot up the high school. Turns 18, guy runs his record. It's Oasis, a gun store or whatever. Uh, evidently, he's got a great reputation. The guy's clean. The guy buys an arsenal. No red flags go up. No, there's, no, there's nobody who didn't forget to load anything in. There's been some, I don't know what they call it, when the cops came to the house a few times. I think the cops came to his house a few times. But yes. how do, and, we, how do and, we make sure Alan West uses his guns responsibly and this 18-year-old Ramos does not. How do we do that? Well, well, once again, you have the indicators and warnings that were there. You can go back to Jared Loeffner. The United States Army uh, did not allow Jared Loeffner uh, to listen to the military because of uh, mental issues. Then why wasn't that put into the system? Or you look at the shooter at Sutherland Springs who had a dishonorable discharge from the military because of domestic violence uh, uh, cases brought against him, and he was found guilty of it. So he had he had that offense. Both of those questions are listed on the 4473 background checks form, but because the Air Force didn't upload the uh, Sutherland Springs shooter or because the Army did not upload Jared Loeffner into that system, nobody knew. And so you can't sit there and say, well, it's the fault of the gun owner. No, it's the fault of the system for not going out there and seeing all these indicators of warrants and saying, we're going to put this person in the system because we got some concerns. You want to follow up and make sure those concerns are not valid? That's fine. But you need to put them into the system so that when they go to that gun store, right. that, that red flag comes up. And we'll see what the Senate comes up with because Cornyn's working with uh... – uh, with Senator Murphy. We'll see what, what comes out maybe this week. Uh, Colonel Allen West, thanks so much. Oh, it was a pleasure. And, uh, you know, it's sad that Joe Biden did not remember D-Day until Fox News called him out. That's absolutely appalling and disgusting. Second year in a row, 845 yes. at night. Uh, thanks so much, Colonel.
When we come back, I'll take your call. So glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. And now President Biden's team is worried he could suffer the same one-term fate as Jimmy Carter. Biden has been so frustrated, he's reportedly resorted to salty language. You're Don Rudy toot-tootin', you donkey-mouth boxcar jumping trolley ponies. Now I'm hopping back in the Corvette. Wait, gas is how much? Who the f*** is the president? Hey, let's go to Jerry listening to WNDB in Daytona. Hey, Jerry. Yes, hey, good morning, Brian. The red, after Alan West, Eric and Alan West, the red flag laws, they're going to have a hard time uh, coming, getting some agreement on this if, if people, they have a place. But you have all these DAs that are taking, fel- I mean, absolutely felony crimes and turning them into misdemeanors, and the people won't be on the form. It, they don't have to list any of these crimes. And you have a lot of DAs not even prosecuting felonies. Uh, Plus, the, the the 17-year-old that mowed down the lady with the baby, she won't, I mean, he won't have to, uh, he has to put nothing down. He won't have a felony conviction. Right. It'll probably be a sealed juvenile record. So what you're pointing out, Jerry, is the people that want all these limitations on guns want less limitations on criminals. Absolutely. And, and that, pl- that plays into what's on the background check. And, and Hunter Biden is, uh, is a poster child for um, red flag laws. Uh, Jerry, thank you. And by the way, the video that Jerry's referring to came out yesterday, but was shot a couple of years ago, that shows him with hookers and guns. Uh, without a permit, and remember, he uh, irresponsibly just dumped a gun into a dumpster that had to be reprieved. And he said, well, I don't even remember that because, uh, I, you know, I was on all types of drugs then. Not an excuse. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. I'm Brian Kilmeade to come into you from Midtown New York, heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine. Uh, of course, this hour, we're going to be joined by Congressman Pat Fallon of the Armed Services Committee, former Air Force vet. Uh, Daniel Bielak will be with us, former Chief Investment Advisor of the Prime Minister of Ukraine and head of the uh, Ukraine Invest. You know, he's someone else who put on the camouflage when his country was attacked. And then we'll do a simulcast on FBN. So we have a lot going on, especially we also have a mayor who has a meltdown in New York City. You'll hear from that shortly because crime's out of control. But wasn't he supposed to control it? Let's get started. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeFact. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeFact.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. So for Democrats who have these Green New Deal fantasies, $5 gallon gas is not an accident. It's not an unintended consequence. It's very much the intended consequence. They want gas to be high because they want you out of your pickup truck or your minivan and want you to get into electric vehicles or scooters or mass transit. Don't believe your eyes, your wallet, your family deficit. Your life is great and our economy is soaring. You heard me. That's what President Biden would have you believe. The problem, only 17% of the country concur. Keep selling, Joe. Number two. After the shooting, after the arrest, after being let go, you know what they do? 
They go do another shooting. No one takes criminal justice seriously anymore. These bad guys no longer take them seriously. They believe our criminal justice system is a laughing stock. Yeah, something's brewing on gun control, but on crime, the change has to come through the ballot box. As the criminal first DA Boudin will learn if he's recalled, and that could be the beginning of a massive recall. And a frustrated, as you just heard, Mayor Adams calls our laws in New York a laughing stock. I agree, uh, Mr. Mayor, but call out the names in Albany that are stopping you from passing what you want. Number one. Uh, we've been watching uh, Uvalde and all of South Texas under constant assault for the entirety of the Biden administration. Uh, ranchers who are having their ranches overrun. And now you've got a caravan of 15,000 people coming up to the border. Wow. Uh, Chip Roy, put us first, Joe. Thousands of migrants join a new caravan through Mexico calling for Title 42 to repeal. You believe this? They're on all laws telling us to change it. Meanwhile, Biden will sign a declaration addressing the migrant situation at the Summit of Americas with the Mexican president refusing to attend because he excluded his buddies in Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. Outrageous. Not only are they uh, communist dictatorships, but they're also buddies of Vladimir Putin. We make a stand, so Mexico sides with them. Congressman Pat Fallon joins us now uh, from Dallas. Congressman, how outrageous is that? Oh, Brian, it's disgusting. I mean, I believe we're Mexico's largest trade partner. Obviously, share a long, over a thousand mile border with them, and they're going to side with these thugs. All right, you know what? We should, but, but you know what, Brian? One of the reasons they're doing that is they know Joe Biden. All he does is he's he's an idol. His engine is an idol. He doesn't do anything. He's not proactive. So they know they're going to get away with it. But this is the time in which we should be addressing the illegal immigration. You know what's about to happen at the Texas border a state you represent. They're about to get up to 15,000. There's a 32-mile-long caravan of people coming our direction. You know, Brian, in April, there were 234,000 illegal border crossers, which is the highest in in history. That's the highest on record. And that's 1,268% higher than the last April when Joe or when President Trump was in office. It's the 14th month in a row of at least 150,000 illegal border crossers. Fentanyl and cocaine and methamphetamine are hit, you know, that trafficking is going through the roof. We have 160 different countries represented by folks crossing the border illegally, and 100,000 Americans have died essentially at the hands of the drug cartels. And Joe Biden wants to look the other way or bury his head in the sand. It's the, the, the border crisis is. Never been worse. It's not even a crisis anymore. It's a catastrophe. So is Beto O'Rourke uh, going to have a shot at this? I mean, do, do people of Texas care about this? This is the guy who's going to take down the wall. <laughs> yeah, the people in Texas do care about it. And I'm, I'll make a, a hot and, go, and bold prediction now. Beto O'Rourke is going to lose his election by double digits because uh, he's, he's a joke. All he does is lose elections, skateboard in parking lots, uh, you know, and play the uh, air drums in his car. Uh, he's inept and he's a clown. And for him to politicize and make the tragedy at Rob Elementary School about him is absolutely gutter politics, and it's disgusting. So a couple of things that are going on when it comes to what happened, the, the tragedy at Uvalde, when this 18-year-old to everybody that knew him thought he was nuts and violent uh, ends up getting a gun because he turned 18 and ends up shooting not a high school that some thought he would, which is egregious, but he goes to an elementary school, which is more, uh, more than horrifying. And now we find out that there's a sentiment on both sides in the Senate of coming down to coming up with some type of gun reform. And one of the people there is a guy I know you respect, Senator Cornyn. 
And one of the things they're looking at is some type of mental health in schools, type of securing schools, but they're also thinking about expanding background checks. How do you feel about that? I think the number one thing we got to talk about, because there's nothing that wrenches your heart more than uh, our little uh, kiddos, particularly the elementary school. I mean, they're babies when they're five, six years old uh, being attacked. There's nothing worse. So what we need to do is focus on hardening the schools, and the best security is tiered security. We need to be looking at, particularly in elementary school, single entry. Uh, you go into the school through the office, but you don't get into the school. There's double, there's kind of a double buzz essentially to get in. School marshals, where in Texas we do have school, a school marshal program, but unfortunately only 6% of the school districts participated. We should change the state law to let any teacher that takes the eight-hour course be armed, and they just simply then have to notify the school district. Uh, a guardian program to get parents involved. Uh, the safer program. So let me explain that real quick, Ryan. When I was on the city council 13 years ago, we had every school wired with cameras, and the school and the city worked together with it. So if there was ever a threat, every inch of every school was on camera. So they could identify the threat and eliminate it immediately. And we have finally need to change the police doctrine where they don't you know, uh, secure a school by put re- essentially surrounding it and putting it under siege, but go in and immediately eliminate the threat. Yeah, it was but changed. They just didn't do our, it. Yeah. Yeah. If we do that, then our children will be safer. Here's Senator Chris Murphy on what could be done. Cut nine. We're going to take some common sense steps that do not compromise Second Amendment rights. We are likely going to pair it with some significant mental health spending, which will make a difference as well. And I think everything Senator Cornyn has said is consistent with the negotiations we're having. Listen, we're not going to do everything I want. We are not going to put a piece of legislation on the table that's going to ban assault weapons or uh, we're not going to pass comprehensive background checks. But right now, people in this country want us to make progress. They just don't want the status quo to continue for another 30 years. So uh, I, I'm a, I'm a, it's remarkable how Senator Murphy has stayed so level-headed, asked the president to stay out of it, and has not said one negative word about Senator Cornyn and vice versa. I sense that there's going to be some proposal put forward, a lot less severe than what came out of the House. Yeah, you know, I mean, because Nancy Pelosi runs the House and they just take left turns. The problem with, like, some of the things that uh, Pelosi and the, the Democrats are proposing is it's not uh, – they their policies have the exact intended opposite a consequence of what the you know the road to hell is paved with good intentions kind of thing. You're talking about you're not going to make our children any safer by disarming law-abiding citizens. In fact, you're going to make it more dangerous. And so you know having some mental health focus, we did that again when I was in the state legislature in Texas. Uh, and, and then Biden keeps saying he needs to do something. He needs to do something. No, he needs to do something effective. We need to do something effective, not just something, so they feel better at themselves about themselves at cocktail parties. Um, you know, we we nobody wants to have a con, you know convicted felons right now. Brian can't uh, own firearms legally, and what the Democrats don't seem to understand is criminals, by definition, do not follow the law. Murder is already illegal. Possession of uh, of a firearm, a felon with a firearm, is already illegal. Rape is illegal, but all those things unfortunately happen. So you can't legislate morality. What you have to do is take a common sense approach. And you know what? How about keeping felons in jail? How about not letting them out? Three strikes and you're out, three strikes, three violent felonies, and you, you spend 30 to, to right. life. That worked, and that works. And I want to put those kind of people in a cage and keep them there. All right, uh, Congressman uh, Pat Fallon with us. Uh, Congressman, there's a big story today that it looks like there might be bipartisan support for much more money into the Pentagon budget that goes beyond what the president requested. 
Are Democrats on board with this? Do you, and is this story something that you understand is correct? You know, well, Brian, it's just the, uh, the same chapter, different verse, really. I mean, th- this is what happened last year. Uh, Joe Biden consistently and unfortunately puts America last at every opportunity. The exact opposite of what President Trump did. He wanted a strong uh, military. He wanted a, a, He wanted to project uh, power internationally. And uh, Joe Biden has done the opposite. We're not inflation now is at eight plus percent. What eight point five, eight point six? Every day it changes and it gets higher and worse. And yet Joe Biden's budget came in and it, year over year it was only about three or four percent of a hike from last year, which essentially was a forty billion dollar cut in effect. He did it last year and he's done it this year. So there are some. There's not many, but there are some level-headed level-headed Democrats that understand the threat that China poses. Texas Congress. Yeah, but you got to get some money. We got to get some money there. Uh, And we've just got to explain to people what we need and make sure the Pentagon's leaned out to the point where it's not caught up in a bureaucracy when it takes, you know, three decades to make a Gerald Ford platform, Gerald R. Ford um, uh, aircraft carrier. Congressman, I got to ask you, too, about what's happening in the Ukraine. Here's General Keene on what he's seen. We know the Russians just on poor uh, power and artillery from afar are just trying to raise cities and killing about 100 Ukrainians a day. Cut 29. The Russians, some incremental gains and and take most of the eastern portion of the Donbass region these last couple of weeks. And certainly their focus on several, several Donetsk, a city that's in the eastern portion of, of Luan. So that's the focus. They've thrown everything at this. The Ukrainians are putting up a heck of a fight in doing it. And I, I think the Russians will likely take the city, but they've expended so much, it's hard to see them being able to make much progress, at least in the near term after that, because they've reached what most of us looking at it day by day see as a culminating point. So they're looking to take this area and they may start talking again. Uh, those Ukrainians don't want to give up one yard of their land. Where's this uh, heading, Congressman? And do you worry if your party is going to start bailing on this? Uh, you know, OK, so asymmetrical warfare, that's one of the things that we were calling for. I joined uh, ranking members Enhoff and Rogers on the Armed Services Committee in November when we saw the threat. And asked Biden to send asymmetrical warfare then. They didn't. They dragged their feet. This Can you put that in layman's term? Oh, okay. So we wanted asymmetrical warfare is like uh, uh, sniper rifles, plastic explosives, anti-tank mines. It's to give a, a military like the Ukraine that has about 150,000 active and now untold number of reserve forces. So, and give them weapons that are easy to use, that they can be trained on for, let's say, a day or two. Like the Javelin's a perfect example. It's a, it's a little, in layman's terms, it's a little missile that goes up and kills tanks. It costs about $175,000, but it'll kill a Russian tank that costs the Russians somewhere between three and $8 million. So the safest place in the world to be on a battlefield 20 years ago, Brian, was in a main battle tank. That is now the most dangerous place to be. And the Javelin has an accuracy rate, hard to say exactly, about 80, 90 percent. And like the same thing with our harpoons, which is the same thing that uh, hits ships and stingers that kill helicopters very effectively. And to get that and, and a lot of ammunition, light machine guns, things to not so much a guerrilla warfare, a little bit of guerrilla warfare, but also um, ambushes. And now we're at a war of attrition. So if we, we've given the Ukrainians billions of dollars now in aid, but it wasn't Biden that did it. It was the, it was the Hill. It was the 
um, legislature. It was the House and the Senate that got together, so we have to do this. And there's a lot at stake here. It's not just Russia. And we also have to understand very quickly that Ukraine has the fourth most natural resources of any country in the world. And China's also looking at this, because if the Russians were successful in Ukraine, rest assured that China's going to be licking its chops and sharpening its blade to take Taiwan. Yeah, uh, hopefully we're ready for the challenge. We certainly are the best fighting force. We're seeing the, the Russians are a distant third, it seems, and the Chinese have not fought since 1979. Uh, you guys seem to have an advantage on that, although I understand recruiting is off. Congressman Pat Fallon, thanks so much. Thanks, Mike. God bless. Take care. All right. one uh, 408 We come back, I'll take your calls. Yes, what Joe Biden said yesterday. The economy's going great. He says, at the time I took office 16 months ago in his tweet, the economy was stalled and COVID was out of control. Today, thanks to the economic plan and the vaccination plan my administration put into action, America has achieved the most robust recovery in modern history. Is that how you feel? Let me know. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're back, everybody. one 408 A lot of you are writing me. Uh, and uh, a lot of you are talking about the, the shooting. Uh, Annie writes me, everybody forgets Obama wanted criminal records removed from young people in high school, uh, i.e. Trayvon Martin. That's why they became 18. They're only, they aren't flagged. Well, uh, are we ever going to address mental illness? See something, say something is a waste of effort. I can understand that sentiment. Uh, more about the school shootings is pretty much uh, it goes across party lines. Uh, school shootings is a terrible thing that can be somewhat uh, dealt with. If the things are done right, liberals have a lot of nerve using this politically when they uh, when their agenda involves the murder of children, a thousand of children when it comes to abortion. So abortion and guns are going to be the two things that I think Democrats hope will save them as political issues uh, in the fall. Good analogy. Uh, let's go out to uh, Joe in New Jersey on the Fox News Radio app. Hey, Joe. Yes, sir. What's on your mind? I'm calling about the federal government shutdown as of the last week in April, the federal government thrift savings plan, which is a savings account, banking account for active members and retirees. And it was supposed to go back as of June 1st. But from the end of April to the present day, the members have to call up and re-register before they would have access to their accounts. Any transactions will right. take another. So how could I help you? How could I help you? Would no, I'm just uh, as, uh, making you listeners aware of what the government is doing. Gotcha, uh, Joe WRCN. Joe, Brian. Good morning. Listen, last week I heard you mention something about the Yorktown. I was up in an attic renovating a, a, a building. I got a paper from 1942. September, carrier Yorktown sunk after Midway. They didn't release it until September 16, 1942. It was kept a secret. I'm looking at the paper right now. It's amazing. That turned the tide in the Pacific Theater. It was shot, and you know this already, on the, on the 4th, they, and they towed it away. I got the actual editor's note here, but we probably don't have time to read it, I'm guessing, right? But Go it's ahead. amazing. It, it was torpedoed by the Japs on the 6th. And uh, they let they shot it on the fourth, but their whole fleet left them. And it's this guy's eyewitness account here. I found hundreds of these papers from the war then, 
And then they, they just shot it again on the 6th when it was by itself, and they sunk the Haman, the destroyer that was escorted back to Pearl Harbor. And this guy tells you the fleet was leaving. They were watching. He's this editor, this uh, uh, newspaper man, correspondent. It's amazing. And it actually finally went down on the 7th. It's, it's uh, this yeah. amazing. And then in one I, year, I uh, eight months later, they had a brand-new aircraft carrier built, named it the Yorktown, just to freak out the Japanese no word uh, if it did, but to see a, a Yorktown built back almost exactly the same, only better, uh, was truly amazing. Can you imagine if we could do that today? The other one took 10 years to build. This one was done in a war it, within a year. So that's why the USS Yorktown that's now off the coast of Charleston, South Carolina, is the second one. But it dates back to 1943 and also has a glorious past. When we come back, Daniel Bilek joins us from Ukraine. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Biden administration from the very beginning, when we were critical of them, was always concerned about provoking Russia. And that goes all the way back to March of 21, uh, when the Russians showed up on the Ukrainian border and we didn't deliver the Trump system of uh, lethal weapons to them. That was the reason they stayed. They didn't want to provoke them. They did the same thing uh, months later in the same year. And why they withheld other weapon systems early on in the war was the same reason. Uh, I, I thought that had been put away. It was disturbing to see it come back and, and have evidence of that once again just recently. I'm hoping that's the end of it. That is General Jack Keene. Uh, he puts together the International Study of War. He does that on a daily basis, sometimes three times a day. Updates on what's happening between the war in Ukraine as they try to hold off the Russians uh, in Ukraine. Daniel uh, Bilak joins us now, former chief investment advisor to the prime minister of Ukraine, trying to keep the economy together and the country together. Dan, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. It's good to be back. Well, uh, how's, how are things in Kiev? I know you guys got shelled over the weekend, right? Yeah, it was the, uh, kind of an unpleasant 6 a.m. wake-up call. Uh, I thought we'd been uh, sort of past that. And uh, five rockets uh, slammed about 10 kilometers from where I lived. So uh, my, my windows rattled, my house shook, but uh, we're all, everyone's okay. Um, you know, they were apparently going after a tank reparation factory, which was really a, uh, a railway wagon repair shop. Uh, I've been there. I know it's in there. There's no way you could even fit a tank in there. Um, so, you know, I don't know what they're doing except to more of these uh, terrorist activities uh, to uh, to just remind us that, that that they can do it. I know you're trying to plan uh, terror, uh, counterattacks to areas in which they claim to have taken, like Curacao. How are those operations going? Well, look, you know, uh, we, we get a lot of interesting press uh, over this. Everybody is uh, is looking at several Donetsk in the east. And I think you're right to point out in terms of Kherson and Nikolaev, where we have been advancing and have been pushing them back. But I got to tell you, Brian, that I'm back to being frustrated where I was a couple months ago that you hear about these heavy weapon systems that are that are coming, that are coming, that are coming. And and we need them like now. Uh, you know, if we know we can we can defeat these guys. We know that we can take them on. Um, they, 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 all they got is their artillery. They, their infantry doesn't want to advance against our troops, and we need we need to be- beat them back with the uh, multiple launch rocket systems that we've been promised. 
And, you know, somebody uh, mentioned from the president's administration, if we got 60 of them, we could march these guys right back to, uh, to Mother Russia. Um, you know, if we get 40, we're going to take lots of losses and we'll, we'll advance slowly. If we get 20, then, you know, we might halt their advances, but our guys are going to die. The president says we're, they're, they're dying at about 100 uh, soldiers a day. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, I'm involved with a, something called the Mozart Group, which is former U.S. Marines who, uh, who are doing training of our special forces and they're delivering critical capabilities and training to frontline units. And, and we see what's going on. Our guys have got the guts. Our guys have got the, 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 the heart. Um, but, you know, they have the rockets and, and we need to fight fire with fire. And, and we really need the stuff the U.S. has promised us. We're really grateful to the American people for their support. And, and the more that we get and the faster we get it, we, we, can, we can take these guys. Well, I understood. So the U.K. has promised uh, their rocket system. You, we got ours coming. And when you asked where, it's, where it is, is it in a neighboring nation? Well, some of it is. Uh, some of it, our, our troops are being trained. They've been now being trained on this for the last uh, few weeks. Um, you know, some okay, of, so some it's of there. The, the, how it, so it's there and you're being trained some, on it. Some of it is. Some of it is. Some of it is. But we need, we need more of it and we need more of it faster. The howitzers that we got from the U.S., the first ones that uh, uh, arrived, have proven their effectiveness. Um, you know, we, we, we can really, with, with, the, with the kit, there's, there's no better army, there's no better technologically equipped army in the world than the United States of America. And, and if America's in this to win this, uh, we, can, we can do this together. And, and it's important that we do this together and that we win this now. Because if we don't, if we end up in some sort of messy stalemate that the Europeans uh, would like to would like to impose on us, uh, this appeasement is just going to mean he's going to double down, and next time he's coming after NATO states, and that means American soldiers are going to die in the Baltics and in Poland, and and I don't think anybody wants that. We're we're doing the fighting, we're doing the dying, we're prepared to do more of it. Understood. Uh, so the Russians, I mean, we're looking on the other side, and we know the sanctions. Uh, are there, but we haven't. They have Europe has not totally shut off all the. Uh, they shut off most of the oil, but not the natural gas. How much damage is that doing to you guys? Because they're still getting some revenue. Well, look, they they were getting a, a 1.5 billion euros a day from the EU, uh, which is a day, which is uh, what we have probably got in total from the EU since the war started. Um, so, you know, the fact that they're still getting gas piped into, uh, uh, into the EU and they're paying for it is hugely uh, detrimental. But let, let's not get overly excited about sanctions either, because, I mean, you know, the sanctions are going to help degrade the next war. We need stuff that's going to stop his killing machine and his war machine now. And, and that means, you know, going is cutting off as much of the energy as we can, cutting off the financial flows into, into Russia. And it's weapons, weapons, weapons. Uh, that's what's going to win this war. So we know the U.K. is going to say the mobile multiple rocket launchers that will improve the range, the, the, uh, the range and accuracy of, the, of your artillery. But now the ones we're sending can go 50 miles, prompting Vladimir Putin to come out and say, you better stop arming Ukraine. What could he do besides a nuclear war? Well, look, you know, what else is he going to say to you, right? I mean, uh, he, he's got to try to bluff. He's got to bluster. But the fact is, 
he's a lot more afraid of NATO than NATO should be of him. And, uh, and that's why some of this, you know, oh, we can't do this because it's going to escalate and that kind of stuff is, is just, it, you know, it smacks a weakness. And that's what he wants to hear. You know, if he feels that you're weak, he's going he's gonna to push you. You know, and it, it, I come back to this. If we don't defeat him now, you know, what, what, what's the United States' response going to be when he says, you know, that treaty over Alaska, that was, uh, that was a bad deal. That's not worth anything. We'd like it back. You know, and and you're going to be in this. We're, we're going to be this. This never ends. Now, I hear you. And Georgia's got to be extremely worried, too, uh, because it's sitting right there. So and then yeah. uh, Moldova uh, has to be extremely worried. And then uh, we've seen this whole script before, which is stunning, which is pretty much why you have Republicans and Democrats mostly in your corner that see it. But I understand, too, if you're very critical of us, you worry about losing what we have because you're a number one supplier. But you're frustrated about the pace of things because you understand the difference and how much how many lives are lost because of time. If we made the commitment, we have to also commit to the speed, right? Uh, Brian, that's 100 percent true. Everybody wants this war to end. It does not end by appeasing Putin. It does not end by giving up, giving in to him. It ends by arming the Ukrainians with as much stuff as we need to win this war. And I'm not being critical of the United States. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, without the U.S., we would have been we would have been hamburger a long time ago. And you know, you you are the our first and foremost ally, and and you've been absolutely stalwart, U.S. and the U.K. especially. And uh, you know, God bless the United States of America and the American people for for all the support we've got. So you're right now. I'm talking to Daniel uh, Bilak, uh, the former chief investment advisor to. Uh, to the prime minister of Ukraine. So, Dan, what could you tell me about Zelensky? I know you guys were somewhat of a fractured government like ours, different parties, always competing in different areas. So what could you tell me is the attitude of the government now that you can take a deep breath in Kiev for the most part? Well, I think, you know, everybody has rallied around uh, the president, uh, but it's not really about the president. It's about the Ukrainian people. I mean, I've never seen in 30 years in this country, I've never seen the kind of unity that uh, the Ukrainians have demonstrated at this point in time. And really what we have now is total resistance. Every aspect of Ukrainian society is involved in this war and involved in fighting this war. And everybody feels that this this is their war to win. Um, the president is sort of being representative of that in a, in a very positive way. Um, you know, the government is doing everything it can to try to uh, keep the economy afloat. And again, the U.S. has been extremely helpful and hopefully will continue to be helpful in that regard. You know, we lost about 35 percent of our GDP in, in, in three months. And, uh, you know, Russia's still bought, we've got 20 million tons of grain that we need to move out of Odessa port. That feeds 400 million people. And Putin's weaponized that as well. He's not letting it go. And, you know, 400 million people may starve this year. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we have everybody is firing on all cylinders to, to try to win this war as quickly as possible. Understood. Uh, Dan, we're pulling for you. Daniel Bilak, uh, former uh, investment advisor, to president, uh, prime minister of Ukraine. Appreciate it. Uh, he's joining us from Kiev, Ukraine. Uh, Dan, thank you. Stay safe. When we come back, we're joined by uh, we actually do a simulcast with Stuart Varney.
Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, we're just waiting. Uh, waiting for Stuart Varney. We'll be joining him shortly. Don't forget One Nation. Set your DVR uh, 8 o'clock on Saturdays on Fox News Channel, and always keep it here. If you ever miss my show uh, live, the Brian Kilmeade Radio Show, BrianKilmeadeShow.com, uh, just get the podcast and, and get it popping up on your uh, in your podcast uh, app all the time. You get it on iTunes. You can get it on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And a lot of people are downloading it, and I appreciate that. Varney & Company is on FBN, the fast-growing uh, the fastest growing network in all of cable television. And now uh, we're about to talk about, uh, we're time to talk about guns, which we've been talking about on this show. Let's listen. Kill me waiting in the wings to get on the air. All right, Brian. In New York State, Governor Hochul has raised the minimum age to buy a gun to 21. What do you say to that? Well, I mean, uh, the, the, uh, to buy a semi-automatic weapon, I guess, to 21. I guess it's responding to what's happened in Buffalo when you have the uh, 17-year-old turns 18, uh, he goes and buys his guns legally. His background check is clean, and then he runs up and he uh, kills everyone he can at a shopping mall. And then you have Uvalde, have another 17-year-old begging his sister to buy guns. When he turns 18, he's got a clean record, even though everybody who knows him knows he's a psycho, and he's able to get it and go. And that's New York's response. I'm very curious to see, number one, doesn't it surprise me, because Governor Hochul's trying to do anything that's going to consolidate the most Democratic votes as possible because she's uh, remarkably inept and remarkably ineffective. She is not a good leader, and she is not doing a good job rallying her party. Only thing she's but, doing a good but, job doing is but what do you uh, make uh, raising money. But what do you make of it? I mean, Brian, what do you make of it? Minimum age to buy a semi-automatic weapon is now 21. You agree with that or you disagree with it? Not it's a, bit, a form uh, of gun control. A, a couple of this, a couple of things. Uh, one thing I'm very aware of is I'm not uh, born with uh, guns. Not anti-gun, just not. But I go to with people involved, especially in upstate New York. I mean, it's like Iowa, as you know. It is wide open. And it is more rural than anything else. That, that's a huge hunting community. You know, are you going to take an 18-year-old or a Willie Robertson in the middle of Louisiana and tell him uh, he's been shooting since he was seven years old from Duck Dynasty? Uh, really? You're going to take my gun away till 21? That's not going to happen. But you're talking about gun purchases. You're not necessarily talking about using a gun. Right. So are these, this criminal mind going to find a way to get a gun elsewhere? Number two is I'm thinking about this, and I'm openly debating it because I know Joe Manchin also on the record saying from a, he's a big gun guy from West Virginia where guns are prevalent and where hunting is, is, is typical. It's, it's one of their number one hobbies. So I understand it. He's open to raising the age to 21. The gun store owner does not want to sell a gun to the next mass murderer. So how do we protect the gun store owner? from having that on his or her mind, like the Oasis gun store in Texas. I hear great things about him, but he's the one who saw the arsenal of weapons and arsenal of ammunition to this crazed lunatic who killed these children. So do you want it on their mind? So I want to do the things that are going to be most effective, that are going to support people that do the things the right way with guns, at the same time stopping people from ruining it for gun owners and actually uh, dampening and getting outraged for our Second Amendment rights. Uh, the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, ripping progressive soft-on-crime policies that put repeat, repeat offenders right back on the streets. Can we roll that clip, please? Roll it. The courts have to prosecute. Judges have to make sure they stay in. Everyone has to do their part. If not, they go out and come back. They go do another shooting. These bad guys no longer take them seriously. 
They believe our criminal justice system is a laughing stock of our entire country. We have to get serious about this because innocent people are dying. Brian, my question is, why doesn't he go and have a word with his own uh, soft-on-crime district attorney? Oh, that would be great uh, for him to be firm on that district attorney, number one. Number two is he goes up to Albany and he said, you got to change the no-cash bail. I'm a Democrat. You know me. This is what I ran on. They said, uh, go to hell. We're not going to do it. And they said, really? He goes back again. They said, no. And then they humiliated him by saying he came up here. He should know how this process works. We're not going to go respond to your demands. If I'm Adams, I go call that press conference and I say, listen, I've been a captain in the, uh, in the police uh, in, as a policeman. And I know what it's like to be effective against crime. And I know what it's like to be overzealous. We are so far the other way, I can't keep my city safe. So I'm going to name the lawmakers that refuse to pull back no cash bail and give judges, judges the discretion to look at the guy that has eyes rolling around his head in front of them, knowing the six-time uh, carjacker is going to go do it again, and I give the judge the discretion to do that. My other worry is there's so many liberal judges who think criminal first. If we empower the judges, we're probably not going to be pleased a lot of the time. So we've got to go back into a, to actually electing DAs that do the job they used to do. And I think the beginning of the end is in San Francisco today when you have Boudin, who's going to get recalled if the polls tell anything. Then Gascon is. is next. Then He's Philadelphia. Out. And then yep. if New York guy doesn't straighten up, you have Governor Zeldin. We'll probably go and fire this guy because <laughs> he has the background to be the first Republican governor since Pataki. We're out of time. Brian, thanks a lot. But we'll be watching you Saturday night on Fox News. One Thank Nation. Thanks, right. Brian. Uh, Thank you. Still ahead. And we'll keep listening to this show uh, here. Let's listen, go to Joe at WABC in Yonkers. Hey, Joe. Hey, Brian. How are you? I love Good. your show. Thank you. So I, I work in healthcare. I'm a pharmacist. I could probably, off the top of my head, name 20 people that should not have a gun. But how do I tell anybody that when HIPAA is involved? I mean, these lawmakers, they, they keep saying mental health, mental health, but nobody in the industry could talk about people on an individual basis. So I'm not sure how they get around that. But to me, that's a waste of time because they're not going to change HIPAA laws because uh, where will that end? I mean, hey, then, Joe, can I just I'm expand talking. on what you're saying? I just want to make clear. So you're saying the psychiatrist, psychologist that has a that, that has a patient that is expressing uh, violence, violence tendencies. I'm going to go shoot up that school. I'm going to go shoot up that bank. I'm going to uh, take out that mall. So you're saying HIPAA laws has them keep it quiet uh, rather than come forward. I believe psychiatrists, psychiatrists have an obligation to come forward, don't they? No, no, that is a little bit different. So, of course, if they're, if they're saying they're going to hurt somebody, they have to come forward. So that is slightly different. But I'm, I'm, I, guess, I guess if that's all, that, if that's all they want to do, that's already in place. I'm not sure why that, that's even a topic then because they are right. obligated to do that the same well, way. Well, they're that. worried about, Joe, they're worried about you calling, uh, calling the cops on me because I seem to have a, be a hothead. Or you might think that I don't deserve a gun, or you might be anti-gun. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have, uh, we're privileged to have with us in studio former UFC fighter, Army Ranger, sniper, and special forces operator, co-founder of Save Our Allies. You've been knowing what great stuff they've been doing. And author of a brand new book, Out Today, Scars and Stripes, great name, an unapologetically American story of fighting, uh, fighting UFC warriors, the Taliban, and himself. Tim yeah. Kennedy in our studio, if you're watching Fox Nation. Charles Payne at the bottom of the hour. One of them's really good at the economy, and one of them's really good at the war fighting. Do you know which, which one are you, Tim? I can't, I can't really see my notes from here. I'm, I'm decent at business, but... Uh, you're, I, I, you're better at fighting. Yeah, I like fighting. <laughs> so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So for Democrats who have these Green New Deal fantasies, $5 gallon gas is not an accident. It's not an unintended consequence. It's very much the intended consequence. They want gas to be high because they want you out of your pickup truck or your minivan and want you to get into electric vehicles or scooters or mass transit. Don't believe your eyes, your wallet, your family deficit. Your life is great and our economy is soaring. Yep, that's what President Biden wants you to believe. The problem is only 17% of the country agree. Number two. After the shooting, after the arrest, after being let go, you know what they do? They go do another shooting. No one takes criminal justice seriously anymore. These bad guys no longer take them seriously. They believe our criminal justice system is a laughing stock. Uh, There is Mayor Adams, something brewing on gun control, but on crime, the change has to come through the ballot box, it seems, as the criminal first D.A. Boudin will learn if he's recalled and frustrated Mayor Adams calls our lawmakers out and says we're a laughingstock. Does anyone doubt that he's telling the truth? Could he be doing more? I got an idea. Number one. Uh, We've been watching uh, Uvalde and all of South Texas under constant assault for the entirety of the Biden administration. Uh, Ranchers who are having their ranches overrun. And now you've got a caravan of 15,000 people coming up to the border. Unbelievable. And he's telling the truth is Chip Roy. Uh, Put us first, Joel. Thousands of migrants, Joe, I should say. Thousands of migrants join a new caravan through Mexico calling for Title 42 to repeal. How do they know our policies? Meanwhile, Biden will go sign a declaration addressing the migrant situation at the Summit of Americas in Los Angeles. But guess who's not coming? Mexico. What good is having a border plan if the one on our border is not on with the plan? Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela won't show up. They weren't invited, and Mexico doesn't. Does that, uh, that spell a problem? Absolutely. With me right now officially is Tim Kennedy. Tim, welcome. Thank you, man. Thanks Con- for having me. Congratulations on the book. Yeah, the launch day today. It's weird. But it's because it's about you. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a real weird feeling to have everything in black and white, especially because it's mostly about failure and, and struggles and um, having it right there for everybody to, you know, at, literally at every one of the darkest moments of my life is now at millions of people's fingertips. And your patriotic behavior is also there, and so is your heroic exploits. Uh, quick, when you see the video of what seems to be 9,500 now, we're supposed to go to 7, uh, 15,000, that's 32 miles long heading to our border. Am I wrong to say invasion? Man, it's been evasion for a long time. You know, the um, if you go down to the border and, you know, I live in Texas and um, Where? Uh, I live in Austin, Texas. Okay. And, uh, you know, I was working along the border for the past seven months and um, we, I was living in Evaldi. Uh, it's one of, one of the many places that I would stay when I was working at the border and talking to the people that live there, talking to the border patrol guys that are there every single day. It has been like this and it's, it's, it, it's ebb and flow depending on the administration because it's all executive level driven when these mass 
migrations happen, this, these invasions, it's, it is really driven by executive policy. And right now it is apt. The floodgates are open and there is nothing that you can do to stop it uh, at the border physically uh, because there's just so many. And then you, you see the ripple effects. It's not just at the border. They're ruining the lives of those people at the border, yes. And then we find out these flights are landing in Westchester. They're, they're landing in other places in upstate New York. And we're saying, what are they doing? They're getting off in the middle of the night. They got a fresh set of clothes. They got a bag to go to. They're getting getting on buses and they're going throughout our society. Yeah. What about these people? Must feel like uh, suckers to go through it the right way. Yeah, I mean, I have a business partner and, and she's a legal immigrant and uh, she went through the process and it took her a long time and she took every single step. You know, I have a couple of teammates that are that are going through the immigration process for their spouses. Um, and then I go down there and I work at the border and it's so heartbreaking because we, we have a failed system. We have a broken system that they're just taking advantage of. Fixable though, isn't it? It is that, nothing it's is so not, fixable. It is so fixable and there's nothing that can't be fixed, especially when it's 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 like a, a movement of a pen to fix it. And the problem solved. Right. Uh, and the thing is, what does it tell you when it's not? And what is it like being there, just processing people, grabbing people, putting them in trucks, bringing them to facilities that are overcrowded, putting up tents where they're just going to stand that attention until we get to them? Yeah. Uh, I, I've seen this facility. I, I've, after two or three days, I could not. I was stressed out. I don't know how you do it every day. Yeah, the humanitarian crisis that's happening there. You know, like. We're, we're all immigrants. Everybody here in the United States, unless you're on an Indian reservation, you're like all of us generationally came here yeah. somehow. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm Kennedy. I'm an Irish American, right? I'm like three generations here. Um, so I, there's nothing wrong with immigration, but it has to be, and there, there has always been, like here in New York, we can walk out to Lady Liberty and we can open the book and see the families that came here and the process that they I mean, I was through. at Ellis Island. I did a whole feature on it for What Made America Great, and you see the whole process. It's you important. see where they walk, the the. Uh, they get off the ships, where they'd go, and how doctors would look them over. They'd ask a few questions. There would be mini courtrooms over there to decide, is there anyone here to meet you? Where are you going to stay? Yep. What are you going to bring to the country? Yeah. Are you one of the work? questions. Are you going to work? Yeah. Are you going to become you? a contributing member of society? Are you going to be individually responsible and be an important citizen? If you go back to what it defines to be a citizen by Roosevelt, like I, I, I question every single one of these people crossing the border. I know they have the American dream um, in their heart, but are they going to do the work required? And you know, I'm not going to disparage the immigrants because I've living in Texas. Like the vast majority of the people there are Mexican Americans, and they're great, wonderful people that share values. Yeah, you know. But what's happening at the border is an evasion. Nobody cares about the color of people's skin. Don't try to marginalize nope. and say, nope. "Oh, you're black, you're white." Nobody you're this. cares. Nobody cares. And then when people say Sweden or Haiti, it's not black or white. It's like. Well, if you're from Sweden, you're from a, an isolated area, which pretty much you're not coming through the southern border, but you're going to wait online forever. I know people that are married, and you have the same situation, people from another country, legally married, on the up and up, living a middle-class life, yeah. and it takes them forever. So many fees, so many meetings, so many tough questions, and the tests you got to go through. Yeah, and he, it's hilarious because one, one of my friends that's going through the green card right now, um, you know, the... She was told to file her taxes, but she couldn't file her taxes because she doesn't have a social security number. So she's like in this pending I'm in trouble status right. for her immigration status. And she's like, I am working. I am paying. Like, but there's there's no way that I can solve this because I'm missing steps and the steps aren't mine. It's a broken system and there's no way to circumvent the system. Right. She's like, I should just come here illegally. I, I know. Uh, I have a friend from uh, Serbia who went and played four years of college soccer, great player, and wants to stay. He had a short amount of time to get a job, but then he had to apply. He wanted to go home and celebrate his graduation because I'm afraid I'm not going to get back. And then he says, he puts on the television, he says, what am I afraid of? Yeah. But, yeah, but, but we, let's talk about you for a second. Oh, no. First off, 
Um, Tim, you're brutally honest about yourself, right? Yeah. You, you, don't, you don't feel – you're one of the few, I'm perfect, but you will go out of your way to say you are not perfect. But on 9-11, things changed. You felt you were a selfish person prior to that. What was life like before 9-11 to be Tim Kennedy? Oh, man. Um, so I had, a, I had a couple of women pregnant. And, uh, Within I, weeks, right? Two yeah. different women? Yeah. Uh, there was, I thought I had AIDS. Um, I was fighting professionally uh, as a mixed martial arts fighter and um, had an after party with ring girls. And one of those girls shows up to my gym and she says, hey, I tested positive for HIV. I'm trying to find all my partners. Like this is all at the exact same time. And then uh, I watch Americans look out a window and, and try to decide if they're going to burn alive or jump to their death. And like you want to talk about that this resounding wake-up call of what a waste of a human that you are is watching fellow Americans have to make a decision like that. When I'm, I'm debating which jeans I'm going to wear to a party, You're like, what, like what, a, what a terrible piece of trash I was. And you decided to do something about it, unlike most people. Well, I, I started. By no means was like this the movie, uh, like the trajectory change where I'm now a new person. Like I still made lots of mistakes. You know, even when I got to Special Forces, I think back to to how arrogant I was, even with my bosses. and be like, no, no, I should be on this helicopter, not you. You know, like I'm the best, I'm the brightest. So, so Tim, you're a really good athlete, right? So you used to be able to accomplish anything athletically. And that's a lot of the special operations, a lot of success besides your mental strength is the fact a lot of athletic demands, correct? Yeah, the, the, the physical demands are extraordinary, but um, internally, the mental aspect is really the selector. Like that is the attritter. Through special forces selection, they use physical events to find the character of a person. And that's what they're really looking at. Are you a team player? And you said you got beat up by your teammates because you were being selfish? Yeah, um, we we're... Zarqawi. Bin Laden was the number one bad guy on the planet. The number two and the number one guy in Iraq was Zarqawi, and he was in Iraq. And we were part of a task force that was hunting him. And um, all of us wanted to, I mean, this was the guy that hung Americans from bridges. Like the, the, whole, the, the atrocities that that man did, horrific. Um, like American Sniper, like the, the story, the same time. He led the insurgency. That's right. And we he, had him in custody and let him go. Yeah. Bad, bad dude. And um, there was a specific night where we had a certain number of helicopters. One of the helicopters got shot up. So a bunch of bolt holes, it got the manifest got scrubbed. So we had to reload, crossload bodies. And I was the youngest and least um, experienced on the team. So they, they removed me from the manifest. I was like, man, I'm, I'm the smartest. I'm the fastest. I'm the best. Like, I'm the one that should be on here. And my team sergeant instead was like, you know, you should be preparing the trucks to be our QRF our quick response force. You should be making sure the radios are good, the headspace and timing on the 50 cal is good. You should make sure there's extra ammo and extra grenades. Those are That's what you should be doing. But instead, you're whining. You're complaining about my decision about what should be happening in combat right now. And I, and I, was, and I was just like, you know, like, like a petulant little child whining How about... How old are you at this point? I was 25. Okay. You know, 24. And, um, and so they come back from the mission. You know, he's like, get your gloves. We're going to talk about this. And we go down to the tent, and, and I end up fighting the whole entire team. And the team just beats, beats the socks off me. And, um, you know, John, my boss, he leans down. He's like, I don't, I don't want to have to talk about this again. And, uh, and even, even after that, I was still like, yeah, but it took all 12 of you to beat me. You're like, there's still the arrogance of youth in there. And, um, and it took a long time for me to realize what it meant to be a contributing team member and how they are so much more important than me. And uh, it was it was pain and suffering like that that teaches you those lessons. You didn't get that from your parents? Oh, man, did I ever. I did, but I'm stubborn and I'm dumb. So, uh, you know, my, my mom and dad are incredible people and a loving household and extraordinary circumstances growing up. You know, my dad 
stole a plane full of cocaine from Pablo Escobar. Um, he was an undercutter narcotics officer. Like we had a we had a red bat phone in the closet that I would I would I would uh, if it would ring would pick up and we'd have cover stories that would tell these drug dealers and these cartel guys to to try to you know, protect my dad and have a cover story for him that aligned with what he was saying. So we had like lines of what would tell him. So I grew up in this extraordinary circumstance and um, like there's plenty of failure. There's plenty of struggle, but um, there was never enough. But you know what? You're living a consequential life, but you're not done. You can stay for another segment. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, Tim Kennedy's here. His book is now out. It's called Scars and Stripes. You just got a slice of it. Much more to come when we return on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So Tim Kennedy is my guest here. He's one of the most diverse guests you'll ever have. His book is out today. Uh, It is called Scars and Stripes, and you got to get it from his UFC to his Army Ranger days to what he's doing now. Now, how are you involved? And tell me about Save Our Allies. Yeah, so Sa- Save Our Allies was born out of Afghanistan. Uh, during the fall of Afghanistan, one of our friends, Chad Robichaux, his translator, Aziz, um, was going to get murdered. The Taliban, you know, Aziz had worked for special operations as a translator for multiple deployments. The Taliban knew who he was. So they, as soon as they knew that Afghanistan was going to be abandoned by America, um, the, he, they were literally telling him, "Hey, we're going to come and find you." Uh, they killed Aziz's friend. Um, then they said they're going to like just do horrific things to Aziz's family, and then ultimately kill Aziz. So, in initially, it was to go and rescue him. And so, my phone rang from Chad. Hey, can you come help me get this guy? And I was like, "Yes." Um, then it was, "Hey, there's these few hundred young girl Christian orphans that are going to be murdered by the Taliban. Can you can we get them out too?" And then it was, "Hey, there's all these entrepreneurs, and then we, all these translators, and then and then all these like thousands of American citizens that we we're leaving behind." Um, and as that started to build, we started in place like the logistics to getting us into country. And um, one of our friends was friends with the Prince of UAE, and that was going to be our launch pad. So that was the beginning of Save Our Allies was getting Aziz and then ultimately 17,000 people out of Afghanistan. What an accomplishment. So, Tim, how, so you get 17,000 out of Afghanistan. That's but right. You, but so how does that play into Ukraine? So the it's almost the same logistic process, but in reverse. So the same team that was on the ground, we had 12 people in Afghanistan. And uh, one of those key people, uh, codenamed Seaspray, so instrumental and, and such a hero. Like, this guy is brilliant beyond definition and um he beat russia into ukraine so he was on the ground like illegal border crossing through the the snowy mountains and um, the same thing that we did in afghanistan to get people out we started doing in ukraine to get humanitarian aid in so we started building networks and um, logistics to get things um, cross border lines and ultimately like we really focus on the last mile. There's lots of big, great organizations that are doing great things over there, but Save Our Allies are very few of those organizations are getting real, like medical equipment, for example, to the very front line, and, and that's what we're doing. And when our reporter teams, when our uh, when our ENG teams got hit, yeah. what role did you play? So Save Our Allies. Um, 
Sea Spray specifically, the the operative, the special operations guy from Afghanistan, was already in Ukraine. And um, you know, God bless Benji Hall. What a tough guy to be able to stay alive. Um, they put together a, a con op, a concept of an operation to find him, move him. I, I can't get into the details of how we were able to to move him out of country, but ultimately ultimately get him to very very high level military medical. Because he needed care. medical equipment. He needed oh, he medical need, attention. He, he was he was dying. Like the, those. He is so tough, and what a it's it's so important the work that journalists do, especially in the front lines when it's when there's so much information out there. It's really difficult to tell what's truth. What's it's fact. not even American soldiers you're with. No, and uh, you know he he being so far forward was isolated, and um, Save Our Allies was able to get to him, get him out, and then get him to medical care immediately. And uh, now he's in Texas recovering. And uh, man, I saw a video of him d- dancing. I, I know you give yourself uh, you you're very hard on yourself through the book. But I have everything that you've done from the Army Rangers to the service to enlisting at 25, all this, to the UFC fighting, what role to save our allies play and what you're most proud of? It, the, uh, it's, it's a culmination of, you know, I've been special operations for almost two decades. You know, I've been in South America, Africa, counter poaching, counter, counter humor trafficking, counter drug, you know, obviously counter terrorism, Iraq, Afghanistan. And, um, you know, but I'm also a business owner, uh, like logistics of, of supply chains. So, all of that experience really and the group, this this God-given group of people that founded Save Our Allies all came in with very unique skill sets. And um, we were able to work together in a really collaborative way to be effective and efficient right. um, to get people out. So I think Save Our Allies is one of the most significant things I've ever done in my life. I fought for world titles, you know, part of the task force that killed the number two bad guy on the planet. But that was pale in comparison to to you know finding an American in Afghanistan, getting them on a bus, smuggling them onto a plane, and then flying them out of Afghanistan, or bringing medical aid right. to the front lines to fight a communist invasion like, that's I mean, crazy. You just you just love going on the edge. It seems like you're most at, uh, at home when the challenge is great. It's all included in scars and stripes, and we're just scraping the surface. Tim Kennedy, thanks so much. Congratulations on the book. Thank no, you. No, it's man. that easy to write about yourself, and no, you did weird. it. And the best is yet to come, I imagine. Yeah, I, I'm not going to stop. I would think to do a movie if you can do it. Get Joe Rogan to commit to doing a movie for you. He's got the contacts. <laughs> he does. All right. Thanks, man. Go get him, Tim. Back in a moment. Charles Payne. talk show that's getting you talking you're with brian kilmeade when the president walked in uh and this is you know this is something that we have to really continue to remember we were in an economic crisis and the president met that moment uh by uh putting forth the american rescue plan by democrats on the hill voting for that plan and uh, really putting us in the place uh where we look at today in a much stronger uh, economic uh situation where we can actually uh deal with inflation head-on we have a lot of work to do and we understand what the american people is feeling uh but we are in a stronger place to take that on. Uh, Karine Jean-Pierre uh, says we're in a stronger place. Uh, the economy's going great. In fact, you have to see uh, the tweet that the president put out yesterday. So the fact that gas prices are high, that inflation is through the roof, uh, the housing market is leveling off, uh, that we're, we're seeing what we're seeing, experience what we're experiencing, the president thought it would be a good strategy to come out with uh, a tweet saying how great the economy's doing and how much credit he deserves. Uh, he says this, 
At the time I took office 16 months ago, the economy had stalled, the economy had stalled and COVID was out of control. Today, thanks to the economic plan and the vaccination plan my administration put into action, America has achieved the most robust recovery in modern history. How does Charles Payne think about that? Uh, he is the expert on making money. That's the name of his show. Uh, weekdays from two to three. Charles joins us now. Charles, was that the tweet you would have put out? No, no, I would have been embarrassed to put that tweet out. I don't. You got to have chutzpah out of this world. I mean, now every time I look up the word chutzpah, hubris, it's got to be President Biden. But you know, it's not the first time, Brian. This is what's so frustrating. Every time he opens his mouth, he feels the need to brag. Like I, I think you know, uh, the, the office next to his, to the Oval Office, is the PR office. It's like they get to make all the you know the article in Wall Street Journal, uh, you know, a, a week ago, it, three paragraphs of bragging and. And, oh, yeah, by the way, some of you guys are worried about recession. Let me tell you something. <laughs> let me let, let me tell the audience something. <coughs> the, Treasury Secretary, get... the Treasury Secretary came out and says, I was wrong. Inflation's yeah. transitory. And then there was reports that she never thought that rescue package should have been passed. She thought it was too great, but she took the fall. Yeah, and I believe, you know, the, the, the biographer was right. You know, listen, even $1.3 trillion was crazy, uh, to be quite frank with you, but that, which apparently she was suggesting. But $1.9 trillion. Let's just first talk about facts. The recession, the COVID recession, was the worst since the Great Depression. The economy contracted 31% in the second quarter of 2020. Right. Uh, we, we've gone down the first quarter of 5 percent, uh, you know, 20 million jobs are lost. The stock market was crashing. Yeah. That was the shortest recession in history. And, and Biden wasn't the president. By the time President Biden inherited this economy, he inherited the strongest corporate balance sheets in history, the strongest household balance sheets in history. He inherited an economy that was coming on like gangbusters, like gangbusters. All he really had to do was sit back and enjoy it. All he had to do was let the animal spirits run free. They needed no more coaxing. <laughs> they were out there. We were back, baby. We were feeling like, you know what? We saw this pandemic. We set a world record in, 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 the, in the creation of this vaccine, a record that every scientist said was impossible, and it did not happen under President Biden. And, you know, I hate to say it, but more people died under President Biden with a vaccine than under President Trump without it. I, so I don't even think I would open the doors to those kind of conversations. The bottom line is I think he went back to politics 101. What is that? Buying votes. <laughs> so you get in the office, first thing you do is you buy more votes. And I got to believe that they were sitting around like 1.9 trillion Democrats would be in office for the next 100 years. And maybe there's one or two economists at the table maybe yelling like, sir, if you don't mind, it might trigger inflation. No, you don't know what you're talking about. We got this, you know. That and, is his and, delivery, by the way. Yeah, and then, you know, someone said, are you on the team or not, Janet? I'm on the team. Okay. So, I mean, this is all a gigantic miscalculation, but I think the most offensive part of it now is, is to suggest that, we were, that we're okay now and that everybody's doing fine. He is spitting in the face of people who are grappling, people who are suffering, people who are struggling. I, I just I, – I, I find it shocking. I really, really do. This is more shocking than, than, than some of the other things that bother me. You know, he was going to heal the nation and bring us together, those kind of things which have never materialized. This is even worse than that because you made a mistake. You made a huge mistake. and Own it and try to fix it. But to, to tell people they're doing fine – 
when they know they're not doing fine. I can't think of anything more despicable. You know, there was a... Um, but it's not even smart. I mean, it's not even a good move. It's not saying, it's well, not a good well you say buying votes. You say in the short term it might help. But this, but telling people that it, things aren't as you live them and appear right. is just wrong. Right, right. No, on on paper, it was it was politics 101. They thought it would work on paper because they never, you know, listen, the economists, think about these 17 Nobel Prize winning economists that backed the Biden agenda as, as late as September, October of last year. These folks, they don't, they really do not believe in economics. You know, what we what's been revealed is that they all believe in social justice. They all believe that Listen, listen. You know the name of the, the biographer who came out with the uh, these comments who kind of spilled the beans on Janet Yellen. Do you know the the name of the book that that, that he helped her write? No. Empathy economics. Empathy ep- economics. It's it's just another one of those progressive buzz phrases that you, you just can't have it both ways. In the meantime, if you really have empathy, would sixty five percent of Americans say they've changed their types of foods they bought recently? Would 45% of Americans say they've used food banks? Would 45% of parents say they've had to skip a meal so that their kids could eat? Would 9% say the entire family has had to skip a meal because of what President Biden did? That's not empathy. Yeah, I, I hear you. I want you to hear, so the other big story is about energy, right? So wherever you go, it affects everything you do, uh, gas, oil, whether it's your house or home. And the thing is, Charles, what I think is insidious and actually evil is secretly celebrating because you want to green our economy. Listen to what Pete Buttigieg said. By the way, not the Secretary of Transportation. Listen. But we also know that the price of gasoline is, is not set by a dial in the Oval Office. And when an oil company is deciding hour by hour how much to charge you for a gallon of gas, uh, they're not calling the administration to ask what they should do. Uh, they're doing it based on their goal of maximizing their profits. Maximizing their profits. And they want to say and they want to start fining and taxing these oil companies because they're so selfish. Is that the, does he under, even understand how the oil industry works? Uh, you know, I, I want to give him credit and say maybe he understands economics 101. This is just deviousness. This is just the same sort of, uh, again, you know, how can we turn this into something that's not? They wanted oil to go up. President Biden campaigned on getting rid of the oil industry, going to war with fossil fuels. The day after the election, crude oil prices went up. They never looked back. The next day, because markets reacted, they said, we've got a guy coming in who's going to destroy the industry. And sure enough, on the first day in office, he began his program of destroying the fossil fuel industry. Economics 101, supply and demand. Demand is there. Almost everyone listening to this uh, radio hit will get something driven by uh, fossil fuels. They'll pick up a piece of plastic today. But, you know, because we only make 6,000 household items from fossil fuels. It's, gonna, it's in our lives. It's ubiquitous. It's not going away. Here's the problem, though. The, the, the supply side. Our last major refinery was built in 1977. We went from 254 refineries in 1982 down to only 124 now. In the meantime, around the world, energy, energy consumption still comes from 85% fossil fuels. And if you took out renew, if you took out hydropower, the whole renewable sliver is so skinny and is so it is so stupid not to build some refineries today. This transition that they're hoping for for this uh, for this clean, uh, you know, climate change utopia, at 
the best case scenario would be a 15 to 20 years transition. So why not why not give the American public some a break? Why not build some refineries? Why not let American producers drill instead of meeting with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia and begging him for oil? Absolutely. So they do Defense Production Act uh, for solar. You know, the, D- the DPA was put into play in 1950 because we're in the middle of a Korean War. We we're in a peace footing. And now the DPA, he took forever to use it for the baby formula, but now he wants to use it for solar panels, and they cannot tell us that we will not be buying them from China. So he's making companies work with each other under governmental order on solar panels. How is that going to help us in the short term? You know, again, it's not about helping us. It's about us getting to this climate utopia, and they always try to to, wrap these things around the veneer of economics. But I tell you, with this whole thing about using it for baby formula and now solar panels, what they have in common, neither one is focused on creating these products at home. President Trump used the Defense Production Act to speed up the the process of vaccines. We created it. It's an American product. It's a global success. Neither now President Biden's using it willy-nilly. He didn't say, hey, we're going to use this to open up new factories, baby formula factories in America. We're going to use this to create more uh, solar panel cells in America. That's what you should be using it for. That's what the power of the pen should be for so that future generations aren't. We've worked so hard to have energy independence, and now we're going to give it to China for this utopian goal of climate change. It's it's scary. It's it's suicidal. I want to see our oil and gas companies start speaking up and defining it to the American people. Start moving forward, not with spin, but just with facts. They're scared, man. But yesterday, the American Petroleum Institute and 80 other trade groups representing a diverse cross-section of industries are calling on the Biden administration to act on policies that support U.S. energy and security and increase domestic production. They're asking for a five-year program for federal offshore leasing. Or else says we're going to be only drilling in basins. This is the best, cleanest way to do it. We'll have control over it. You have to commit to a five-year plan, and you know this better than anybody yeah. because you have to get investors to do it. Right. And, and you can't just say, I'm going to drill today. I'm going to make some oil. It doesn't right. work like that. I mean, you know, listen, they, the first thing that the administration went after after Keystone was the offshore drilling. They've gone to court to stop offshore drilling, um, and, and it's – in the ESG movement, you know, with Wall Street not investing in these oil companies or investing in these large projects, again, the whole thing is so crazy. It's so suicidal. And it, who's paying the price for it is, is the middle class of America. The poorest people in this country are paying a heavy price for these highfalutin ideas from people. By the way, Nancy Pelosi, her her, her refrigerator has a larger carbon footprint than most people's houses. <laughs> they don't they don't care about this I stuff, know. right? They really don't. I mean, it's I mean they don't care about the suffering. They really don't care. She, you know, last month what she was busy doing, she was busy buying millions of dollars worth of stock options on Apple and Microsoft. You think she cares that somebody right now, a family's going to skip a meal today? You think she really cares? Not at all. Never thought yeah. she did. But she's yeah. got a husband with a DWI. That could be prerogative. Driving a gas-guzzling Porsche. Yeah, give me a break. <laughs> Thank you. Charles, I love when you get fired up. Well, no, you're not fired up. Watch his show from 2 to 3, and anytime Charles speaks, pay attention if you want to make money, and that is the name of his show. Charles, thanks so much. Thanks a lot, buddy. See you, you soon. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Listen, um, when we come back, we're going to find this need to know more. My sense is there is. We're following everything from the, get this, 39-mile caravan that is heading our direction at the southern border. And we can't even get Mexico to show up for a 
America's Conference in Los Angeles. Do you think they're actually going to stop it? That's coming our way. That, to me, is a dereliction of duty. Woody, about you? Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I want to close the show by giving you a little bit of additional information uh, about uh, things we've been talking about. You know our big three, but I believe there's even more than the big three. There's even more to know. More to know. All right, here we go. President Biden finally acknowledges D-Day. It took him two years until 845 Eastern time at night to say it. The problem is in Normandy to announce where the actual invasion took place, the greatest, most successful invasion in the history of modern military warfare. It was already June 8th instead of June 7th. Inexcusable. It shows an inefficient office. The guy's been doing this for 30 years. He can't set up a communication office that acknowledges great moments in American history. He comes out finally and tweets this. Today we mark 78 years since D-Day. Too late, Mr. President. I thought adults had re-entered the room. Not so much. Next. Uh, Elon Musk accuses Twitter of resisting and thwarting his right to information on fake accounts. He wanted to find out how many followers he actually has, how many followers Hillary Clinton has, how many people are actually on the service. He wants to know what he's buying. Here's a letter from the attorney to Twitter. This is Musk's attorney. As Twitter's respective owner, Mr. Musk is nearly is entitled to, re- to the requested data to enable him to prepare for the transitioning Twitter's business to his ownership and to facilitate the transaction financing. To do both, he must have a complete and accurate understanding of the very core of Twitter's business. It goes on to demand that, but so far, no good. Meanwhile, Texas AG's getting into the action. The uh, Ken Paxton says he's launched an investigation against Twitter, claiming the company has underreported its fake bot accounts, and those numbers have negatively impacted consumers and businesses. So Twitter's under attack. If, uh, if Musk doesn't buy it, it is a, a fraction of the company it was. He has every right to get to the bottom of how many bot accounts or fake accounts. And Twitter, I guess, is having cold right. feet, too, and using this as an excuse to not uh, go through the sale. Next. Uh, AOC is slamming Democrats for railing against Latinx because uh, Latinx is not popular in the Hispanic community. In fact, 40% survey said it's an insult. So get this. In a mini rant, she goes after members of her own party. Gender is fluid. Language is fluid. And, like, it's almost as though it has not struck some of these folks that another person's identity is not about your reelection prospects. Also, in the spirit of pride, I wanted to have a note on gender inclusivity in Spanish language. People sometimes like to make a lot of drama over the term Latinx. But even before Latinx, people were trying to do this, like, use an at to have the A and the O together. There are some politicians, including Democratic politicians, that rail against the term Latinx. And I think people right now are using the E term as gender neutral in order to be as inclusive as possible. I mean, does she have anything else to do? Uh, By the way, a recent political poll showed that Hispanic voters found 40 percent indicating that the term Latinx bothers or offends them. Does she know that? And 30 percent say they would be less likely to support a politician or organization that uses the term. The Democrats are shedding the Hispanic vote. And AOC thinks she knows the key. To what? Do more things to annoy the uh, the uh, the Hispanic community? 
I don't think so. By the way, the Cuban vote belongs to the Republicans, especially now, as once again, Joe Biden alienated him. And for those people who are American citizens on the border, you've lost all of them because Joe Biden is uh, is uh, is actually uh, absent at the border. That is his policy. Next. Uh, Queen had the Queen has banned Harry and Meghan from having a photographer capture the moment that she met her granddaughter, uh, uh, Lilibet. So get this. Harry and Meghan go out and blow up the royal family, come to America, get billions of dollars, interview with Oprah, and just basically make it seem to be as though it's a, a train wreck they left behind. The 96-year-old has a big jubilee. They come back and wonder why they're booed. So then they take their, grand, their kids to meet their grandmother, at which time he says no for, she says no photographer. Do you blame her? No, I don't blame. There's a lot of friction there, and also there was a, they bowed out of going to their to the brothers' uh, best, uh, I guess celebration for their uh, daughter. No, the Will, uh, yeah, Will decided not to go. Uh, I thought it was Will that decided not to oh, go to yeah. Harry's. Harry, Megan, they that's right. They invited William and Kate. See, that's I think William and Kate are wrong on that one because you don't want the you want the cousins to still be close. Their family. You don't want what's happening between the brothers to. Uh, impact that. Yeah, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson survived a no-confidence vote, even though he pre-partied all through the pandemic. That's sickening. Hey, make sure you watch Fox and Friends, and, and keep in mind, too, the Brian Kilmeade Show. You can capture it on a podcast. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.